So we'll start um, by doing some of the mantra that we did, and then we'll sit for a couple minutes, and then uh, we'll just think about some of the Buddhist teachings on compassion. So... Tayata Muni Muni Maha Muni Ayata <laughs> 
So that way of motivation, we set our intentions, steer the course of action, This really um, good to think about these different kind of sufferings and recognizing how we don't wish to have any of them. Try to expand our heart and just think about anyone, anywhere, everywhere, and how they have all of these same sufferings all humans and then there's various sufferings of other beings and try to get in touch with their own suffering and understand it and the various pains that come with that and then we can infer what other people and other beings are experiencing set our intention for wishing to develop ourselves so that we can be of the most benefit to everyone we meet. And in the most expansive way, by being free of every kind of suffering, people in a state of permanent peace in all beings. So that's why we gather and contemplate the Buddha's teachings, discuss them, and meditate upon them. Open Heart, Clear Mind, the last chapter is about compassion and action. Took a look at that and outlined it and also went to some of the teachings that Judith was here for, for activism of altruism. Mm-hmm. We had a retreat about that once and, and I was kind of struck that really the same basic ideas were there and, and I really, for myself, when I read things, there's one level of kind of this intellectual understanding, but that's really not the point. And so I was really kind of wondering like why, why these things were said and what they really meant. And so that's kind of the way I went about this topic. And because and, I mean, there's many things you could say about, I think, about this topic, but in both instances, Venerable Children chose to talk about similar things. So those are the things I'd like to present. 
And at the same time that I was doing this, I was always having in the back of my mind very concrete situations in my life. Like, where either I don't feel compassionate or I have a fair amount of confusion about how to proceed with different situations. Because otherwise it's kind of just kind of reading a story. You know, and it's, there's not much purpose to it. And so, and I have things I don't have answers for. And so, to me, the time I spent thinking about this was personally helpful. I, and I saw that, wow, you know, I could actually change the way I experienced some things. I, I, um, and I think uh, one thing in particular is situations where you don't feel like you can benefit others. And, you know, or these difficult situations, and you talk with most people, and you don't have to get to know them very long before you come upon situations that people, you know, are sometimes troubled by, you know, and what to do, and things like that. So I had that kind of in the back of my mind the whole time I was looking at compassion and action. The point of this chapter really was to sum up the book in a way, and this book, Open Heart, Clear Mind really has um, so many tools for working within. Um, But the purpose really also is to not just to sit on the cushion and generate blissful states of mind. The purpose is to take what we do in a meditation session and bring it into the world. And so this is really the point of this... uh, how can we be compassionate in a world where there are so many problems and difficulties and we have our own reactions to it and this and that so um, I was kind of surprised (laughs) well first we should back up as uh, we heard earlier this morning compassion is this wish to free others of suffering That's, that's our basic definition in Buddhism um, but when you're confronted with situations that are a little more difficult, you know, it's a little hard to know sometimes if you're being compassionate and what, what are you really doing. And so when I read this, that compassion is honest and direct communication with others, <laughs> I was like, hmm, I was thinking about these harder situations. I mean, it's a little, it's not been so hard. It only took Venerable Simke a few years to teach me to have much more compassion for the bugs. <laughs> I think it took about a year and a half because I had been brought up with... Um, I, I realized, although I didn't... I kind of protected them in some way. To me, they were still kind of... Mm, they, were, they were like these things. They were almost like nanotechnology. I never really quite saw them as living beings. They were just like these little things that were in the way. And so I would carefully maybe move them for years and years and years. But until I met Venerable Simke, I don't think I really had like more of a feeling of like, this is a live creature here, you know, and, and you can't not pick that up with her, you know, after sitting in this meditation hall for a while. So I had to start calling them all Clyde. so that I have some like familiarity and I started really looking at them and and looking at the flies and looking at these different creatures 
And so that actually was actually pretty easy to do. Maybe it took a year and a half to feel pretty like there. Now other situations were like uh, not so fast. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of where I think like mm, honest and direct communication with others. So I'm thinking about situations where do I really do that? You know, and can I do that? And am I capable of that? And, so this is why I think that much of the chapter is about actually having a daily personal, having a spiritual practice in your life. That's a lot of the focus of this chapter. And why? And what is it? And I think the main thing is that if we want to help others, the easiest way to do it is to think of them as our friends. It's just so much easier. I mean, we'll naturally help other people more if we have a kind of like a good feeling towards them. And so um, then you, you know, if you keep yourself really busy, you won't really notice a lot of what's going on inside of yourself. But if you take time every day to have a daily practice and calm yourself, you'll actually have time to actually reflect and, and see what your reactions were during the day and uh, what kind of situations, you can start to see trends of what kind of situations are more difficult, more easy, how you're doing, and you can find ways to actually work with these situations when you're doing your practice and then bring them <coughs> into your daily life and into the world. So it's just... I think it would, I would find it almost impossible to be... I mean, there's a certain level of compassion that I think we all start with, varying degrees, different situations. But the kind of compassion that, that um, we're aiming for really is, is quite... Um, the word be equanimous, almost. It's where you're not just compassionate towards the things that are convenient. <laughs> you know, it's like having compassion for every situation. And, and for a Buddha, actually, it's spontaneous because they don't have all of our reactions, <laughs> all of the things that come up for us. They're just, they, they've worked all that out. And so the method really is to, <coughs> is to calm the mind enough and... Um, set up an environment inside where you can actually look at things and change things. And so that's really the point of having a daily practice. So we're quite encouraged to um, start and end our day in rather specific ways. This has been taught many times that the first thing in the day, what we think about is, um, even before we get out of bed, is setting our intentions for the day. And the first one of those is to do no harm. And the second is to help other people in whatever way that we can. And the third one is to this idea of cultivation of, of our spiritual goals. And for us, our goal is very clear that we want to actually eliminate all of our negativities and develop all of the good qualities which we believe have <coughs> an infinite potential. And that's uh, you know, a rather lofty goal. So when you, if 
if you want to have a if you want to make progress, you have to have um, a practice that's steady. You have to have so in order for that to happen, you have to have certain conditions. I mean, like looking at your life and evaluating your priorities. And and Venable had actually recommended, I think, in this chapter, to for people who have a difficult time having setting aside time every day, actually listing, making a list of what you your priorities are and then you know kind of ordering things a little bit so that you can help yourself to carve out more time I I think those kind of things are useful it's like taking stock of what you're doing so having a um, in the morning setting aside some time to set your motivation we recognize that any action that we do has motivation as a component of it. We just don't, you don't drive all the way up here without some kind of motivation. You just still be at home. <laughs> you know, you don't have this cup of tea without some motivation. We always have an intention present in every moment. We're not always aware of it, um, but that that's kind of what's steering our actions of of body and speech and even in the mind and so in the morning by really setting clear intentions and then the way we're structured here we have reminders throughout the day but you can you know other people can find ways to do this you kind of recharge those um, motivations to try to stay on track a little bit because any time you try to change something like say you want to be more compassionate it, you know, or you say you don't want to be angry, you know. But any of those, any of these, you know, big things like this, it it won't work just to say it, you know. Like when we were in um, that town in Idaho where we went to see His Holiness, Sun Valley. Yeah, <laughs> it was so funny because the person who led that um, organized that teaching was kind of very, almost like. <laughs> he had a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> this is our, how we are in the U.S. A lot of compassion and enthusiasm, but not always a lot of wisdom. <laughs> and so it was so funny to me the way I understood this. Is uh, you got everybody kind of charged up. You know, they're going to raise their hands if you want to be compassionate. And everybody's like, "Yeah, we want to be compassionate." And then this holiness kind of got up and it was like. He kind of made people realize that it's going to take a little bit more than just standing there and raising your hands up. You know? <laughs> this is where I think uh, we always kind of joke and we that we have a lot of compassion, but we don't really have a lot of wisdom. You know? And so, how do you develop compassion? And the teachings that we have are have very explicit and mm, just. So many teachings, and that's what we've, we've gone over that in this book, Open Heart, Clear Mind, many of them, and there's just so many teachings. It's not like it's just going to appear out of nowhere. We, we have specific teachings where we create uh, the causes of having compassion and developing and cultivating. That's the way to think of it. It's not like you're going to just decide one day, oh, okay, now I'm going to be compassionate. This is something that you have to cultivate and in order to actually cultivate something you have to have a method that works <laughs> so that's why they recommend the daily practice and the listening to teachings so you kind of understand the basic content 
and then discussing them, which is why in our afternoon group, I think it's so valuable for people because we really share in ways that um, everybody's different reflections helps to deepen everyone's understanding. And you have to have a, that, a certain level of understanding. And then you want to actually do meditation practices. And so for things like, you know, sticky situations that are difficult where you're finding yourself, you know, by, you know, you've set your motivation in the morning and then in the evening you've sat down and you've reflected on the day and you can see, oh yeah, some of these things went really well and then there's the ones that just you've kind of, maybe if you're like me, ruminated on way too much because they didn't go how you wish. And then, so you really can, in the evening, make time to kind of look at these in a space where you're using tools that are beneficial. So that, to me, is basically not like suppressing things and not like just kind of running and expressing things. It's actually holding your own experiences in a certain level of awareness where you can examine them and investigate and research them. And then, on the meditation cushion, there's so many ways to work with the mind, but one way is to think about things and think about, you know, different reactions that you might want to have. And for me, that involves having oftentimes quite a different view than I have in that moment or even I grew up with. And so um, many of the teachings that we have that teach us about ways, like, for instance, this morning, yeah, this morning I was reading a letter from my dad that he wrote me a couple years ago. And it was about uh, his brother being killed when he was about in World War Two. You know, he was maybe 20. He was uh, he tried to get in. This is all this letter about patriotism. And he was <coughs> so much wanting to get into the service, and my dad was trying to explain to us how things were then. And he, his brother got rejected by every service because his sight was so poor. And then they drafted him and put him in the Rangers. And he was like at Omaha Beach and all these, you know, amazing things. And then he was in this huge battle that they classified until the 80s because it was so poorly constructed. It was just like 56,000 men died in this, you know, and there's, every year they're finding the bones still, you know. And he sent me this poem that was really, really popular during World War II that kind of expressed this view of patriotism in a certain way. And this, the view itself, I mean, I I think in his letter, my dad came to a place where he was kind of a hawk and then he became kind of a dove. And he basically sees war as a waste. But he still has this patriotic spirit, which I also can relate to. But if you have the view and he expressed in his letter that kind of discernment. But in the poem he sent, which is very popular during World War II, according to him, basically you would take the view that, you know, it had this beautiful sentimentality of a person dying and they're never going to see the sun rise again and they're never going to see these things. And so, conclusion, take up arms and do what I did, you know. And so if you have that world view, if you have certain views, it's gonna, those views are going to help to form what kind of intentions you set and what kind of actions you do. Mm-hmm. And so in the Buddhist teachings, if we wish to develop even compassion, I think there's certain 
news that we've grown up with. Like, for me, this thing around bugs. I mean, when I was a kid, we killed bugs. What do you think about it? You know, fly swatters, all that stuff. And then I don't think any, I don't know where I learned it. I just decided to quit <laughs> somewhere in there many decades ago, but, you know, decades ago. But I still didn't have, you know, but, but that wasn't, that isn't the norm, you know. And even in various religious traditions, there's a certain, you know, they don't have that, that um, discernment, you know. If, you know, there's a way to look at these things to recognize that each of these creatures wants to be happy just like we want to be happy. You can see it when you walk, when you look at earthworms. You know, they don't like it too wet, they don't like it too dry. <laughs> and we're no different <laughs> from that. You know, and so uh, the, some of these things come to view. You know, we have, we have so many different views that we've grown up with, and it's really special to be able to examine them and make your own decisions after you've seen what kind of conditioning that you have and use these kind of reflections to, to make all kinds of changes. So I think that that what, that's you know one benefit both of having a daily practice. You see how you're interacting with the world. You see your reactions and you can become friends with yourself. And if you can't be friends with yourself, you're going to have a difficult time being friends with others. And so it will be, I think, rather difficult to be compassionate because when I'm not friends with myself, it's so easy. I'm so dis, I have so much discontent that then it's so easy to be kind of generally discontented and generally unhappy with everybody around me. You know, and so I think that you know, it's just. Um, a nice way to look at your daily practice is, is uh, seeing how you are in the world and seeing a goal of how you might want to be and having tools to, to get yourself there. So that was a big part of um, the teachings that Minable gave. Another area that um, I think is uh, often a problem and this is a, maybe the compassion without wisdom, which really isn't so much compassion necessarily. Is we get in situations where we might start off feeling compassion for something, but it kind of slides very easily into being having a lot of personal distress. And that I think happens quite easily, you know. And then when when you have that coming up, it's kind of a negative. <laughs> you kind of want to shun the situation. Oftentimes, and I think that um, really at that point, what started off as compassion, when you have compassion, there's an object of your compassion. It's other, <laughs> generally. If it's yourself, you can have compassion for yourself, but you're having compassion for your own misery at that time. But when we think about having compassion for someone in a certain situation, when we it's, I think I found it helpful these teachings about recognizing that you might start there but things easily kind of can degenerate and so if you're having a lot of you know reactions and mm, difficulties with the situations feeling imposed upon maybe um, feeling a sense of aversion I don't know all these things can they just kind of lead to burnout basically they don't work 
very well. And that's actually not compassion because then you've lost the object. The object was this person or this being who was having difficulties. Now the object is my own reactions to it. And you're, you're not, that's not compassion. And so I think that's important for people to recognize because there's some people are even taught that you have to kind of feel guilty, you know, like, or you're not really doing it right. (laughs) But that isn't the way we understand it. And if you look at how things function, you know, when you say you want to help somebody and you can't, and you feel guilty about it, you know, that guilt is your own personal uh, reaction. You're not actually... When you're feeling guilty, you're not really focused on the other person. and You're not focused on relieving their suffering. You're focused on your own, uh, well, your, cent- your self-centered mind has kind of taken central stage. And that's the basic culprit in terms of, um, I think, having compassion. Is that it's so easy to fall into self-concern and self-preoccupation, things like that. So, if we're thinking about uh, helping others and we're thinking about uh, wanting to be kind to others and things like that, um, one thing that we have modeled here quite often is a kind of kindness that is quite firm. It's not, um, I think that uh, sometimes people have the view that if you're kind to somebody you just give them whatever you want they want like being a people pleaser and and that really that's not it either no we're not we're not really if when you're when I'm working out of that place when I can see that that I just kind of want things to be smooth that's all about me I want it to be smooth so I can be comfortable you know and that's really might not be what's in the best interest of the person that you're trying to help so, you know, when you, any of these ideas that resonate in your mind, what you want to do then is you want to make examples from your own life and your own situations about, you know, the kind of things that you run into day by day, week by week, and think about, you know, how, what's really happening here? Who am I really thinking about? Because it's just, it's, it's just so common for things to flip to, concern for the self. So if we're thinking about um, helping others, they're really, I mean, there's like a level of firmness. This is, I think, one of the qualities I see in our abbess here, is this real level of firmness to work for the long-term benefit of people, her students, anyone she's, anyone, really. And so that level of conviction really takes a kind of a strength that um, I don't really see that I always have. I, I mean, I think about the more difficult situations and this is what I'm trying to think about more is like, where am I really coming from in some of these situations that are trying to disturb me? You know, especially situations where you can't help people, where you've tried to help people. I think this is one of the teachings from... Uh, Mm-hmm. Tough love. Yeah, I think that's one of those in that category. People are familiar with that. From uh, I think in Alcoholics Anonymous and things like that, they have that expression. So it's basically, you know, 
thinking about what's really going to help someone rather than what's going to make the situation comfortable a lot of times. And that's the part where the discernment, I think that's what I've enjoyed the most about thinking about this. Is, and that's what, where I think that things are, uh, I feel better actually. It's like, what can I do that will really help When people call you up who ask you for money, or somebody's on the side of the road who wants money, or whatever, you know, things like that. What can really help? And, and there's no like right or wrong answer. I'm not going to say it's this or it's that. It's every situation, every moment is different. It's a moment by moment thing, I think. So, um, in order to continue, I think a person has to be realistic. It's so easy to get frustrated. We, most people who start a meditation practice at about three months get a certain wall. <laughs> you know, there's just these different phases you know, that people run into with things. And I think that um, it's important to have a very you know, a hopeful and optimistic mind. But that's different from being unrealistic. And so when we talk about like being compassionate with others and having a daily practice and looking at these things and change, seeing these reactions that we have to situations that kind of drive us crazy because we're doing the same old thing, um, which comes up a lot for people, I think that it's just so helpful to have a realistic perspective. Like His Holiness has said many times, if you're going to judge your progress, you can't look even at a year, you know. I mean, that's the least amount of time I would look at. I mean, it's more likely that you've got to look at three years and five years and things like that. Because the things externally change quite rapidly, you know. You can have a landslide and things like very changed. But on the inside, the internal workings and our habits and our... Uh, and the various predispositions that we have that kind of set the stage for many of our reactions. It's a lot of times that we're living on automatic and things just kind of, we just, this is how we are in these situations. Is we haven't really taken the time to, to look at really how to make things different. And when we do, those, those things take a lot of time. In, in situations where mm, things are more intense or more... Uh, complicated and where the situations have been that way for more years which usually means family (laughs) it's really unrealistic to think that you can change things uh, quickly things do change quickly sometimes but usually there's a lot of uh, background work that goes into into those moments I think you know Sometimes, I mean, certainly things can change quickly, but it's more often that uh, it's kind of, you have to have the energy for the long haul, I think, and have that more of a realistic expectation of what's possible in, in each day, each moment. So one um, area that I think for me, has been the most difficult is seeing where you can't help people. 
You can't make other people change. That's just the way it is. And, you know, on a certain level, that's so easy for me to accept. You know, I can't eat for someone else. I can't make their muscles strong for them. I can't sleep for them. I can't change the way they think. <laughs> and the way somebody thinks has a lot to do with how they're going to live. So there's a certain level that I, I understand that. And then there's another level where it just kind of drives me nuts. <laughs> you know? It's just hard to watch certain things. So that's where um, my work is. And so, but recognizing that, then what do you do? And this, these are the teachings that I found actually quite useful. And I, and I was, you know, it's kind of a thing. When, when you read things, you have to really examine them. You know, and is that really true? Venable told me this a couple of years ago, and I, I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> She's like, you know, it was basically on this topic, you know, like I would say, like, well, what in the heck can the Buddha do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it drive me crazy. What can he do? What does he do? <laughs> he doesn't <really> do anything. <laughs> you know? And one of my teachers really encouraged me to look at the powers of the Buddha. And that was helpful. And I realized, wow, they're all knowledge. He knows this, he knows this, he knows this, he knows this, he knows this. These ten things that he knows. Hmm. Okay. That was uh, my teacher in Seattle who knows every Catholic needs to have these certain teachings. <laughs> that was right. Because we fall into these holes of like, you know, because if you grow up with a God who's going to like, a God who's omnipotent and he's going to fix it. <laughs> Now you've got this Buddha who doesn't fix anything. <laughs> what am I going to do with that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows this, he knows that, and he has these powers. Okay, that's great. What <laughs> good is that? <laughs> you know, I was kind of skeptical on that one. And so I've thought about this for a while. And, um, and I can see her, the wisdom in this. Yeah, you can't make up other people change. But you can deal with your own mind. And then I look at my mind and the different circumstances where things go well and things don't go well. And it's, I, I have to say, this is true. You know, if, if my mind is peaceful, actually if my mind is happy, if I have a certain level of calmness, then, you know, everything always goes better. So that's, that's okay. I know something to get to that place. So that's the power. There's a kind of power in that. But then I'm like, okay, but that's, that wasn't quite enough for me for a while. But now I think I recognize that differently. I think it's a matter of seeing people who have that developed to a really high degree, the effect that they have on other people. They're, that's palpable. I can imagine having enough mm, wisdom in the Buddhist sense and uh, develop your qualities enough in ways where you really can understand things well that even your presence could be helpful for another person. That's what Venerable was trying to tell me a few years ago and I was like, 
I don't know about that one. <laughs> You've got to do something. <laughs> you know. But I actually think, no, I think she's right. You know? <laughs> I mean, because I've seen it, you know, and, and, and just having that as an inspiration, I mean, like, uh, in my own life, you know, recently I ran across a situation that was quite intense, went on for a number of weeks, and I was, uh, I thought about His Holiness a lot. It just spontaneously came to mind. It was always so beneficial for my mind. And, you know, I've never really talked to him. I mean, I've heard teachings from him. But there's, it's more than even the words that he says. It's, um, it's, I think it's the capacity that he has that I, that I recognize as um, this capacity to actually have compassion for every single being in a way that you have this level of affection. This is what I see in His Holiness. Everyone he looks at, as I've watched him, he's so, you know, he has this level of affection. And for me, that's quite powerful. You know, and so even when I just think of him, it's helpful. And so, well, okay, maybe Venable is right on that. (laughs) I mean, he's not like he's only just doing that. You know, his compassion has many aspects to it. I mean, if you think about just the compassion that he has in dealing with the situation of Tibet, you know, it's not like he's like a doormat just saying, come on in. He's actually, you know, trying to be calm and peaceful and think about everyone in the situation. And he's been active for years, you know. And I think uh, that comes you know, a lot from his compassion for everyone. And his compassion meaning, you know, not wanting harm, not wanting anyone to have suffering or harm. So that means everyone. That means the soldiers. That means, you know, just every person involved in their situation. And so, you know, that's quite an example. So I think that Yes, he has a presence and there's something to that, but there's also then putting it in action in the day-to-day. And so I think that this is one, you know, one of many examples that we can use as models to help ourselves have the inspiration to kind of slowly, slowly make our, you know, transform our moments that we have with everyone that we run into, you know. So, recognizing that we can't make other people change, we encourage ourselves to change. We find inspiration. We find like-minded people and uh, work on ways that, you know, we can inspire others by seeing another person who's able to uh, handle situations well, able to overcome problems. It's such a positive motivator for people. It can help another person to have more belief in themselves so that they can make the changes that you can't make for them. So that's the way I'm kind of thinking about this now. So Venerable said, just by being who we are in the world, that changes the people around us. And so I'm thinking also that uh, this is what happens in hospice. You know, I mean, they're, are they going to make the person live longer? <laughs> I don't think so. 
Absolutely not the goal. It's your just your presence there. Is everything I've always heard, Kevin, and other people talk about it, you know, is a certain kind of openness and presence that just is so beneficial to another human being in that situation. You're not trying to change anything. Just being there. I also think in um, the helping professions, it's it's quite similar. Um, there's a part of just listening and um, acknowledging and uh, I think of it as listening, I guess, to another person that I think is actually very therapeutic. You, don't even, you haven't even done it <laughs> yet, but just really being present for another person and that also helps when it comes to the work that you're doing, obviously, because then you've listened to them and you know what you're up against in terms of what kind of challenges they have. So those are just some ideas. We'll have time for discussion this afternoon, but does anyone have any questions or comments? I have other things, but I don't think I'll go into them. Yeah. I have a question about balancing the idea of things taking time and using that as an excuse to inhibit growth. And if there's been any teaching or anything, any specific advice on that, because I find that particularly in my marital relationship, it's easy to say, yeah, we'll work on that, but it takes time. Mm-hmm. And making sure that taking time doesn't actually end up in, well, we're not actually working on it. We're just expecting it will change over time. Right. I'm much more, I expect, like, if we talk about something, it should change. That's kind of how I am. But <laughs> we were <laughs> We already said that we're not going to act this way to each other, so why are we acting this way, right? right? And he's much more like, things take time, things take time. <laughs> I worry that that turns into, well, we're saying they're going to take time, so we're not actually working on it. Mm-hmm. And I realize that my view is unrealistic, but um, making sure that there, that balance is there, where you still are moving that goal and ensuring right. that that's happening within recognizing that there's... Yeah, you know, I think for yourself, it's easier to find a way. I mean, there's... I think we talk about this here a lot about a balance and it's it's kind of similar of where you overindulge and where you, you know, where you just, uh, you know, you... Um, I don't know how to say this... there's one side of us where we go kind of to the lazy side and the other side where we go way too tight and we push too hard and that I think really happens within a person and so when I think about relation and it's hard to find that it changes because sometimes you need to be more quiet and process and kind of pull back and other times you really need to stretch yourself and so when I think about relationships, I always think about it as there's these three things going on. <laughs> when I was in relationships, I always thought about it this way, and I found this helpful. There's me, there's the other person, and then there's kind of the unit. You know, So there's like three parties. <laughs> That's the way I, I've always thought about it. And I think that trying to, you know, one person's process is going to be really different from another's. And so th- the best thing, in my view, is to keep the lines of communication open. And for me, that means in situations like that, because I'm kind of like you in that regard. And I can recall when I was in long-term relationships getting in uh, 
winning arguments that I hated. I hated that. It was so awful. <laughs> because there, it was just such a, the whole experience of it was so awful because, because I had this maybe somehow the verbal ability in this situation that I would win these arguments and it would just be a negative happening. There was no, you know, I just, I didn't have the skills then to work with things in a positive way. So I had to learn a lot inside about that, about how to, how to be more caring with someone who's different. You know, and I don't, I don't think, you know, so that's, I think, on the internal side. So I think keeping the communication open is important. I think readdressing things and not dropping them is, is important too because you can't, you know, at some point with some some situations you have to accept things that, you know, some patterns in people are very difficult to change. I mean, we work with that here. I mean, I work with it. You know, I have, you know, things that I've wanted to change and it's and I have seen progress. You know, and I've learned a lot more. I'm on like a more, you know, it's it's ex- accelerated in this environment with these conditions. But even then, like things say related to the anger that comes up for me quite easily. That's I've been here now for you know four years. I think. I'm thinking it's taken like three of those years, to, you know, three years to make any dent. And when I talked to a long-term practitioner about this, her comment to me was, "It took about 20 years." You know, and I could see in her that she had really manifested huge, you know, she didn't have this. The practice really was quite astounding that way. So, you know, it's kind of a balance. I mean, exactly what you're saying, of being realistic, you know, and people's, some things that are easy for you are going to be hard for another person. Some things that are hard for you are going to be easy for another person. I think... uh, for me, the most important thing is to love the person. You know, really, what is love? That's what it kind of comes down to. Love, you know, if if it's about me being satisfied, that's not it. And that's you know, it's it's really, I think that helps so much. It's just, when a person can't change, and they're trying, you know. That's where your compassion really has to, you know, really has to come on. It helps the situation so much because you have your own ways where you're like that. You know, everyone does. Everyone has their own ways where things are difficult, and to be able to see that in another, that creates a space. I think where where um, the change is more possible than if things get kind of if they fall into anger or resentment or despair or giving up you know just uh, I think lately Venerable has been saying and this is helpful for me personally you just sometimes fall flat on your face <laughs> and then you just have to get up brush off go on again <laughs> it will happen like that in relationships I mean, it happens like that in families and, you know the thing is just not to give up I'd like to hear what other people have to say it's hard mm-hmm. these, these are the things that are hard the way I heard your concern is that about uh, expecting it to take a long time like you talk about, you know, mm-hmm. it seems to me the analog was 
for oneself developing compassion, uh, the antidote to the cup out is, is the practice. Mm-hmm. And so it seems to me there must be an analog to that in the relationship. Yeah, I can see that here because, you know, that's one thing that actually works here. We live in a community where we're with each other 24-7, you know, and one thing that makes it work here, that one thing that makes us harmonious is the fact that we recognize that every person is doing the best they can and are working on things. So from your side, if, if you believe that, you know, if you don't, then then that has to be discussed. I don't know. What do you think? I like the situation. In particular, talking about my husband. Sometimes I very much trust that he works on this. Sometimes I have no idea. Sometimes I'm not privy to the process on the inside. I just mm-hmm. see what's on the outside. And, you know, I could have one and he can tell me everything. He thinks it's also, I don't think that's <laughs> <laughs> of Vietnam you know I read about him he'd go in his room and he wouldn't come out until he had worked it out and gotten to a place of peace mm-hmm. in his mm-hmm. mind mm-hmm. and I have such respect for that it's what opened me up to the Buddhist teachings actually anyway we're getting a little late now so we'll sit for a couple minutes so think about um, anything that resonated anything that didn't just put it aside and think about something that you want to maybe use in your day-to-day life. 